This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year, we are exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and what we are calling, what Mark is calling, a chronogeobiological flow. We are following the chronology of the book of Acts, then veering off to the places, people, and topics addressed in Acts. As you can tell uh, by the voice today, and if you can't tell, you're not listening close enough. Uh, Pastor Mark is not here. Um, I don't know what he's doing. He's off. Uh, who knows? Who knows what the man's Some doing right really now? really important meeting. Probably. Yeah, I'm sorry. He is in a very important meeting with very influential people uh, yeah. as we speak uh, this very moment. So he's not uh, here today podcasting with us, but... I have got my buddy, uh, Ben Beeks, or as we fondly refer to him here at Fishers United Methodist, we call him Millennial Ben, and uh, he is with us. And today we're going to be veering off from Acts, as was introduced uh, last week in the conversation on Acts. Paul's young apprentice, Timothy, was brought into the mix, and so today we're going to be focusing in a little bit on Paul's first letter to Timothy, recognizing that it is six chapters, there is no possible way to get through all of First Timothy today. So I strongly urge you uh, to read it as you have time to. Um, but with that, we are going to dive on in. And uh, two, two aspects of uh, First Timothy that we are going to look at today is we're going to, to take a look at Paul's words of encouragement uh, to Timothy, um, who is in Ephesus as Paul is writing him, and uh, and then we're going to look at Paul, what is probably the more do- the most dominant theme in First Timothy, where Paul is warning Timothy against false teaching and encouraging him to guard uh, the church in Ephesus against false teaching, and so we'll look a little bit at that. Millennial Ben, or I'll just call you Ben. They can probably discern between our voices who is who at this point, right? Yeah, that, I, I think voice-wise, they'll be able to tell us apart today. Is it's that just, fair? It's, it only gets confusing when Mark is talking to Ben and we're both in the room. Then we have a problem. Oh, is that because of the, the Hoosier dialect that the two of you share? Oh, well, yeah, no, of course. Okay. And, and the heritage from Purdue. I mean, we, we have good things in common together here, Ben. Right, right. There's too many Purdue grads uh, at this church. Oddly enough, or more interesting maybe, uh, you'll find this, is neither of our Purdue grads, uh, both Mark and Ben, neither of them have degrees in engineering. Correct. Mark Mark has a degree in math. That's closer to engineering. That is closer to engineering. And then Beeks probably would have been better, sir. Ben Beeks, uh, sorry, I just like to call him Beeks or Millennial Ben, whatever. I got a lot of uh, different, um, yeah words for him but uh or, make it sound bad man yeah sorry you know what i mean uh yeah code names um but uh ben what did, what did you get your your degree in yeah, my my undergrad's in political science so i i went to college very much already having a call to ministry and i said to myself what is the easiest fastest thing i can do to get out of here and go to seminary and so i took political science it was great. I loved it. Yeah, we we followed a similar path because I, I received Christ, I accepted Christ when I was in college. And uh, at that point, I changed majors like 20 different times. I was nearing the end of a degree in special education, K-12, to and then elementary ed, K-4. to And I just decided to, to do away with that and uh, graduated with a general studies degree when I realized that I was going to go uh, to seminary. But 
Um, I did graduate my undergrad with 140 credit hours. Whoa. So, yeah. So kids, let that be a lesson to you. Um, if there's any way to discern ahead of time your degree path, uh, do so. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, your parents will deeply appreciate it. Uh, and and you, you will deeply appreciate it from the amount of credits you have to take. The truth. Truth. So anyway, w- with that, we're going to dive in uh, to First Timothy. And first, we're going to look at some of Paul's encouraging words uh, to Timothy. So we're going we're gonna to jump around uh, just a little bit. Um, actually, we're not going to jump around on that. We'll jump around later. But um, in, in uh, First Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 11 to 14, uh, Paul says this. He says, Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And then Paul says this. He says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Uh, when you hear these words from Paul, specifically speaking of the gift that Timothy has, how would you describe uh, Timothy's gifting? And then in that, how would you describe your own gifting? Yeah, you know, so there in that line, he says that the gift of prophecy that, that you have uh, is, as the, the council laid their hands on you. But I don't think prophecy is the only gift that Timothy has either. I think we see in basically everything that he does, that he has an ability to lead, a gifting to lead, a, a gifting and ability to, to preach, and, um, and really, in many ways, kind of the ideal pastor. Uh, and, and so he, I think he had a, a lot of giftings that he certainly had a, a lot to be thankful for there. But then Paul encourages him to practice those things. He doesn't say, just take the gifts that you've been given and call it a day, but you know, it is a, an intentional live into those, practice those on a regular basis. You know, I think in, in many ways, Mark has, has had similar encouragements for me over the, the course of the last year. So you, you ask about my, my own giftings. Um, one of the, the many things that uh, God has, has been very gracious and, and gifted me in is, is my ability to preach as well. Um, and so there have been a couple of times through the course of the year where like, I'm on staff here. I would like to be here on Sunday mornings and, you know, respect the, the work that I'm, I'm doing here. And other churches have come to me and said, hey, can you, can you come and preach, you know, whether a one-off or a couple weeks in a row, um, you know, just people needing, needing fill-ins for certain seasons. And so I always go and ask Mark and his answer is always the same. Why would you say no to that? Uh, and and it's, that's kind of Mark's way of encouraging me, go and practice the gift that God's given you and, and live into that. And so uh, it's been been really neat to be able to practice that, not only here at Fishers, but then uh, outside at other churches as well, pretty regularly this year. Yeah, and I would second Mark's uh, sentiment. Um, you're an incredibly gifted preacher. When did you first recognize that gift? And was, was there a particular moment? I know, you know, your dad's a pastor. You were raised in the church. Um, and so when, when was that moment, if there was a specific moment where you're like, yes, this is what God has, has called me to do? So my first sermon was when I was about 16, uh, some, somewhere around there. Actually, what ended up happening was we've got kind of a smaller, we, Monticello UMC, my, my home church, uh, they have a smaller service that happens at the drive-in through the course of the summer. And so a bunch of cars pull in and they tune into the radio and I you know, the, the pastor is up there, preaches from what they call the, the chicken coop, or at least they used to call it the chicken coop. I don't think they do anymore. Um, and so 
dad asked me, you know, cause he can only be in so many places at one time. And so he asked if I would go and, and preach there one Sunday. And so I did. And then I make it back to the, the main sanctuary and dad is in his office laying on a couch, looks like he's on death's door. And he says, Hey, I need you to, to fill in second service too. Well, in case you haven't noticed, I am not Brian Beeks. I am also not a pastor. Uh, my name is Benjamin Beeks. I'm uh, Pastor Brian's son. Uh, in Dad's absence now, I've been asked to preach here. So this is kind of a last-minute thing, so wish me luck. And so that was my first preaching experience was uh, very much getting thrown under the bus and got to fill in for Dad. That was not the sermon that convinced me that I'm a really good preacher. That was I, I've looked back on that one a couple of times. It was a little rough. Still on YouTube. Don't go look it up. Um, so we, uh, we, now I have to go look it up. I mean, you realize that, right? Yeah. You just baited us all. You're about to get a whole lot that your, your viewership is about to expand uh, broadly. I'll warn Monticello to go take the video down real quick. Um, but I think the point at which I really fell in love with preaching and realized, no, this is a way that the God really has gifted me and, and something that that uh, I'll be able to, to use for his glory over the years was I had an internship and I, I alluded to it uh, last week on, on last week's podcast. Um, I had an internship my sophomore year of college uh, at Brookston United Methodist Church with my uh, mentor, now friend Devin Cook. And so was there for uh, from, I, I believe it was June of 15 until August of 16. And uh, just was a, a really great season of figuring out ministry and, you know, what I'm good at and what I don't enjoy as much in ministry. Um, and we, one of the things that we agreed on coming in though, was that I would preach once a month. And at the time that seemed like a kind of terrifying thing. And and then even more so, he actually made me preach the entire month of October and like put together the whole sermon series for that month. And like, it was a whole thing, but he pushed me to preach a lot. Even in a, a time where I had not done it as much, I was not as comfortable or confident in myself at, at that point. Um, and, and yet, as that became a regular rhythm for me, it was something that I, I began to, to realize, oh, I'm looking forward to this every month. Like, I'm, I'm not just doing this because I have to and because, you know, um, what we agreed to do when I came on. But like, this is something that I'm really looking forward to. And that's only continued more and more over the years that um, I've. I have not yet entered a season where I preach at a certain place on a regular basis, but en- enough people know that I am able and willing to preach that it just is increasingly something that I'm, I'm called on to do. And I really love when I, I get the opportunity to do so. That's awesome, man. And uh, it's funny, you know, you mentioned your first sermon at 16. Uh, I was not preaching at 16. Um, I was nowhere near the pulpit. I was going to say, were you in the church at 16? I I was not. I was not um, anywhere close to the church. And I I was probably pretty certain at 16, if I had walked into a church that either it or myself would catch fire. Um, And so, yeah, I was not in the church at 16. But uh, but personally, you know, I I experienced that call pretty early on in my own uh, walk with Christ. And so soon after receiving uh, Christ as Savior, the the church where I accepted Christ invited me on staff, which just blows. I knew nothing, nothing, uh, but invited invited me on staff to be uh, their youth director. And uh, it's just funny reflecting back uh, on that time. There were moments uh, I, I just remember sitting with the youth and I'd be like, where's that verse? Is there a verse about that? And having the kids like instruct me 
uh, a little bit. But Wait, I had you, a, you don't do that anymore. I still yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thankfully I've gone, grown maybe a little bit beyond that. But there are those moments. You know, it's like all that all that information is in your mind. Yep. But like trying to get the reference point. Where's that verse? Somebody tell me where that verse Some, is. Paul wrote it somewhere in one of his letters. That's right. That's right. But early on. Uh, as a as the youth director at Covenant Presbyterian Church, um, I had opportunity, which blows my mind when I think back on this. On a at Christmas Eve, uh, they did they wanted a, several sermonettes. The senior pastor there at the time wanted several sermonettes to be preached on on Christmas Eve, and asked if I would preach one of those. And uh, I, I mean, it was deer in the headlights, but. When I got up, I still remember the message. It was on Ephesians 2. And when I got up to, to preach, after uh, I, I was finished with my little 10-minute message, I, you know, immediately I knew this is where God has called you, and this is what God desires for you uh, to do. Now, I would say that I'm a decent preacher and, and definitely believe that God has called me into that. Definitely I'm, underselling yourself. I, there, no, man. I, I'm a much better teacher. And so mm. the, the classroom setting is, is where I probably thrive yeah. uh, more so than not. And, uh, and I do though, for, for you, I, I look forward as you're doing the micro church and I know it's a little bit of a different setting, but I do look forward to the opportunity you'll have one day, probably one day soon uh, to, to preach on a weekly basis. And, and what you'll come to discover, uh, the, the previous church I was at, we, we were multi-site. And so one of the sites uh, I preached at, I preached there three times a month and then at the mother church once, once or twice a month. And uh, one of the things that I discovered initially when I stepped into that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to preach every week, not once or twice a month now. And I was, it was just seemed so daunting but you know, you made a reference to the rhythm of preaching earlier, and it's amazing to me how much easier it is to write a sermon every week as opposed to trying to put one together once or, or twice a month, just from the simple rhythm uh, of it all. But uh, but yeah, I was at Covenant Press where I I personally received that call and. And it was one of those things, you know, when we think about a call into ministry or, or a call into whatever, uh, however God has gifted us, yeah. uh, while there's a, a sense of, uh, I think, peace and passion that exists within us, there's also uh, God illuminating that call through others as others come to speak into our life and say, look, dude, this is where God has gifted you. This is what you need uh, to be doing. And for me, I mentioned him uh uh, just briefly last week, but uh, Hugh McClure, who was the pastor, who was pastoring at Covington Press while I was there, was one of those people that just stepped in and spoke into my life and said, this is for you. This is what God has called you uh, to do. And maybe you mentioned it and it's already slipped my mind and I hadn't put on my listening ears, as my wife would say. Uh, who, who was that person? Or was there a particular person? Obviously, Devin, but was there someone else, uh, or maybe it was just Devin, that just really spoke into your life and said, this is for you? You know, what, what I remember most is not specific people, though I will mention a few specific ones that, that stand out here in a moment, but just the overarching, over the years, consistent narrative from everybody in my life that said, this is it. Like, don't let go of this. Don't run away from this. But it is interesting, the specific ones that I remember. And I think I remember this one because 
I think it might have been the first in that there was uh, th- this guy, Jim, at, at, at Monticello that, you know, just I, I just preached my first sermon. I was 16. I was not good, folks. I cannot overemphasize this. Like, it was not a strong sermon. And yet he came and he just was so emphatic, like ministry, like you are supposed to be in ministry. You are supposed to be preaching. I'm just so prophetic like that that's the only word for it he was so 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 convinced that i was absolutely moving in the right direction by following you know in 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 my call to to ministry and so that really stands out to me as just the first time but then it was just the consistent push over the years from everybody in my life that said you are too good at this to not continue doing this yeah yeah totally uh yeah i can parallel uh uh, experience there with uh, just the consistent narrative from others uh, voicing uh, their encouragement to me to be like, this is what you need to, to do. Uh, the two people, though, Hugh McClure, who I just mentioned, and then the other person, I don't even know who it was. Isn't it funny how those and, people will stand out? Yep. And, it, and this helps us to shift gears a little bit. But in the mid-90s, again, soon after I accepted Christ, I was serving as the youth director of a Presbyterian Church in, in South Louisiana, and I had several people come to me and encourage me, actually ask me to come and speak uh, at our version. You know, the United Methodist Church has their annual conferences. Um, our version of that, which was, for, for me, in my particular context, was the Presbytery meeting of South Louisiana. And they came and asked me to speak on an issue of false teaching in the church. And so here I was at 21, they wanted somebody, or 22, and they wanted somebody who in their mind was, was young, who could speak into this particular issue. And somehow or another, I got drafted to go in to speak in front of a whole ton of people about an issue of false teaching. And when I got done, somebody followed me out of the room and said, please tell me that you're going to seminary. Please tell me that God, that, that you are going into vocational uh, ministry. And it was really out of that conversation where everything was, was essentially confirmed for me. And in mentioning that, this is where we, we dive a little bit. And again, we don't have much time as uh, we're, we're running probably a little bit long here, but uh, we're going to just spend a brief moment. I'm going to read through a, a couple of different verses uh, just to, to grab at some of the context that as Paul is giving uh, to uh, Timothy relative to uh, false teaching. If you've read any of the New Testament, you know that false teaching was an issue that was confronted uh, by almost every church and almost every letter. Uh, within the uh, New Testament context. And so uh, in that, no, there's nothing new here uh, under the sun, um, but Paul writes to Timothy. We're going to look at chapter one. I'm going to jump over to chapter four and uh, yeah, we'll just kind of piece it together here. But in chapter one, beginning in verse three, the apostle Paul, he writes to Timothy, he says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from, uh, from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about 
or what they so confidently affirm. And then jumping down to verse 18, while there's a really a lot of good content between there and verse 18, Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them, he mentions a couple of guys here, Hymenaeus uh, and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be, uh, to be taught not to blaspheme. And then jumping over to, ver- to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, the entire context of, of this chapter focuses in on false teaching. While we're not going to dive into what Paul was specifically addressing uh, in Timothy's context, we're going to use this as a means to kind of dive into uh, the need to, to shepherd the church and protect the church against false teaching, the mean for us to be faithful uh, to, the, to the word and, and to the teaching that, that God would have us to teach. But Paul says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be, to be received with thanksgiving uh, by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected. It is to be received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then just jumping down to verse 11, Paul says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you uh, because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message uh, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then he says these words to Timothy, which I used to have on a card that sat on my desk as a reminder. He said, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. As we look at Paul's words to Timothy, you know, what are maybe some of the things that just briefly stand out to you? And as we look at these words, why is Paul so concerned with the issue of false teaching? And one of the things that I'm definitely struck by here is just this, this call to watch our words and how we talk. Um, he, he references a couple of times, you know, mindless babble and, you know, just incoherent, basically just talking for the sake of talking. And he calls that out. And I, I think, and I'm not going to be able to find it. See, this is what we were talking about, the, the whole not being able to find the reference thing. But I think maybe it's in Second Timothy then that he even talks about the, the importance of like, don't even acknowledge it. Just hold tight to the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep teaching that. And this mindless babble that everybody else is, is engaged in, it's everything, it, it, it's not worth it. It's just not worth dealing with because as he talks about, all it does 
is serve to promote speculation and controversy and ultimately division in the church. And that's one of the things that, of course, Paul is, is the most concerned overall with, um, with avoiding. But then he just continues to acknowledge that there are going to be people that fall away, and yet he gives Timothy a different way. He says, if you put these things before them, if you continue to, to not only train yourself, but train them up in uh, what it means to, to have good doctrine, then they're going to follow. You know, ultimately, as long as you keep the main thing the main thing, people are going to understand, people are going to latch onto that, people are going to follow that. And those that are trying to distract, are trying to make it all about them, are trying to, to you know, ultimately have selfish motivation in, in their preaching and, and teaching and leading, they're going to fall away. It's one of those things that I, I think I would, well, okay, so Paul learned from Gamaliel, right? Like we know that that was one of his mentors. And then Gamaliel's thing in, in Acts is, is he says to the rest of the council, this is, you know, in the context of the apostles being arrested and the disciples like kind of being on, on trial. And, and Gamaliel says, if, if what they're preaching is from God, then there's nothing that we can do to stand in its way. But if it's not from God, it's going to fall apart on its own. And so just let it is kind of his advice. And I think Paul is very much latching onto that similar sentiment here. Amen. Amen. That's, that's a good word there, uh, Millennial Ben. Um, with that, though, and not to, not to be Captain Obvious here. Okay. So this is going to come across as like one of those easy Sunday school questions with an easy... Jesus. Su- Sunday school. And, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, or as we, you, you might be compelled to say here, the Bible, um, but maybe go a little bit deeper uh, in that. But uh, so again, not to be Captain Obvious here, but, but how, do, how is it that we can safeguard ourselves from false teaching. Yeah. Okay. So the Bible, yes, let's get that, that answer out of the way. Um, but I think it also comes down to who do we surround ourselves with? So, you know, here in, in, uh, first Timothy, Paul calls out specifically Hymenaeus and Alexander. I think there's other names that he drops in second Timothy too, and certainly other names that he drops in other letters to other churches because everyone was having their false teacher issue. But I, I think it's all about who you surround yourself with. They always, almost always, at least, come in pairs, trios, you know, people that are, are working together against the church, against the betterment of the church and for their own selfish gain and motivation. And yet, Timothy continues to, to listen to Paul and continues to, to hear the investment that, that he's offering and the encouragement that he's offering, as well as then, like we talked about last week, there's the Barnabases, the, the Silases, you know, there's there's a whole slew of people that still are coming together, maintaining the faith, holding up right teaching. And so it's really just an issue of, do you surround yourself with maybe the more charismatic people, the people that are maybe richer uh, and, you know, have the seemingly the worldly values, the people like Hymenaeus and Alexander, are you listening to them and surrounding yourself with them spending a lot of time with them? Or are you spending time with the people that you're, you're not concerned about their appearance and their um, their qualifications, but you're you're just concerned about these people are just concerned about the the true gospel and and what does it mean to to follow Jesus, um, and so yeah, I mean, good company will go a long way uh, in in defending against uh, bad teaching, um, but you know that's one of the things that I I think we have to be really aware of and yet often struggle to be uh, super cognizant of because, you know, again, we're just naturally drawn to some of those more charismatic worldly people. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting you make that point about uh, those folks who you know the the more charismatic, worldly people who uh, maybe for the pursuit of own, their own financial gain um, have given themselves to false teaching, which Paul does deal with in First Timothy in chapter six. And so I'm glad you brought that into the mix. And I think with that, there's also sometimes those who give themselves over to false teaching. Uh, out of a desire for institutional preservation to where they think that by culturally accommo- uh, cultural accommodation, they're going to preserve the institution itself. And so there's a desire maybe to placate the hearts uh, of those within their context because they think that's the means to, to grow the institution or to preserve the institution. And so there's a lot of different trappings toward false teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. The other, the other thing I would say too, yeah, it's, it's about who we surround ourselves with, you know, are they faithful to scripture? Do they see it as their authority as they seek to live into the Lordship of, of, of Christ himself. And with that, as we surround ourselves uh, with those who are physically present with this, there's also the need, I, I think, to, to surround ourselves with those uh, historical teachers of the yeah. faith who, who we have come to cherish throughout time because of their faithfulness to scripture, uh, because their, their teaching and, and their, uh, you know, exegesis has been preserved yeah. throughout time and held up as a, a standard for us. Yeah, absolutely. I, there, I, I just am thinking about the, the line in Hebrews of the great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by and of course, yes, we're talking about that in a spiritual sense, in a heavenly sense, in, in the book of Hebrews. But man, I think it holds in our earthly setting as, as well today. We are, in, we are in the information age. We have more access to more knowledge now than we ever have throughout the, the course of history. And for us to even remotely believe that we are wiser or more learned than those in the past and you know that that we can just dismiss everything that's come before because well we're in a different context now the world has changed we need to change too that is one of the most arrogant and or naive things that i i think we could possibly believe in the modern day we have so many people that have given us so much information about what does it mean to follow christ in every day and age and we cannot dismiss that Amen. And that's a, a good word for us to uh, to end on. And uh, Ben, thanks for joining us uh, today you in Mark's stead. And, uh, and yeah, just if, folks, if you can't tell uh, this young man who is uh, spiritually just old, um, I don't know how else to put it, he's incredibly spiritually mature. If you don't know, he's got a great handle uh, on the word. And I'm sure that he would attribute that to the environment with which in he was raised, yeah, uh, undoubtedly. Absolutely. But Ben, thanks for being with us today and for your wisdom and uh, for, yeah, for answering those questions as I threw them at you. Uh, yeah, he had no prep time. I didn't give him any prep time. I didn't send him the question. Mark never sends me questions, so I figured we're just going to let Millennial Ben suffer uh, through the, but he, he acquitted himself really well today. So Ben, thanks for being with us. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus, including daily Bible readings, devotions, poems, weekly sermon, group study, other episodes of this podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next week.